Well, this is the first night that we are doing all of our, uh, the whole message online. And uh, it's, it's all for the obvious reason. We're um, just responding to this pandemic that has um, gone internationally, worldwide, started in China, and it now finds itself in our very own backyards. And so uh, just to um, make sure that we are participating in the solution, we have decided to uh, put everything online, including Wednesday night services, uh, Sunday services, and all other ministry, including men's Bible fellowship, women's Bible fellowship, and youth. And so I just want to encourage you as uh, you're watching this online in your homes that you would um, really prayerfully not only uh, be more deliberate about your walk with the Lord and seeking Him, uh, but also reach out to others. Uh, share this video with uh, neighbors and friends, uh, co-workers and family members, uh, and, and perhaps through this we could uh, pass uh, along to others that peace that surpasses all understanding as we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ. And, and really, there, we should not have the countenance of fear, as we learned on Sunday in the life of Stephen, how regardless of what came against him, his countenance was one of, of peace, perfect peace, knowing it entirely in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and that's the peace that we would hope the world would have in the midst of such chaos. Um, there's panic that's been setting in, fear and worry and anxiety, and uh, perhaps more is to come. And so we as believers, as Christians, um, should really um, bring about uh, just a, a peace and a hope that we can all find and know in Jesus Christ. And so uh, this evening we are uh, continuing our study in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And, uh, and just start to start out, let's pray, and we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening, uh, Lord, in unique times. I pray, Father, that even through this, as we continue our study through um, 1 Samuel chapter 21, that you would continue to pour your Spirit out upon us and help us to understand what we have before us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen each and every one of us, and uh, and I pray, Lord, that you would give us uh, an understanding of your word, that in this time that we spend with you, that we don't just leave it in this moment, but that we would perhaps meditate on your word, uh, that it would, as it resonates in our hearts, that we would um, study this chapter and, uh, and be encouraged by it. And so, Lord, we commit this evening into your hands, Lord, this time of study, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, Last week, we left off with Jonathan and David saying goodbye to each other, as it was clear that Saul was bent on killing David. And so David departed from Jerusalem as a fugitive, and, uh, and we saw that he was on the run from Saul. Uh, this evening, we're following David to a city called Nob, and he went and met with this priest named Ahimelech. And then from there, we move on to Gath, which is a Philistine city, uh, a city of the Philistines, and by the way, home of Goliath, the giant that David had slain. Uh, Nob is, uh, just to, to understand where things are as far as what we're going to cover this evening, Nob is located uh, just northeast of Bethlehem, just outside um, the um, old town uh, Jerusalem, and just northeast, um, that's where that's located. And um, Gath is located um, southwest of there, as we would know today as uh, the Gaza Strip. So Ashkelon is just to the west, and so that's where Gath is. So just so you kind of put things in perspective, Nob being just outside of Jerusalem, and Gath being southwest toward the coast, toward the Gaza Strip. And that is Philistine country. Uh, tonight we'll learn about a man after God's own heart, but a man after God's own heart who isn't perfect, and yet God's faithfulness toward David is proven once more as he delivers David from the hand of his enemies. Uh, it was reasonable and discerning for David to leave the presence of imminent death, really, and that's what he was looking at as, he, uh, as Saul continually attempted 
uh, to kill David. He did so three times as he was before him and even put a contract out on his life. And so, of course, uh, David didn't want to remain in that environment. And, uh, and so he left. Uh, he, he didn't continue to live in the presence of the one who was seeking to kill him. And there are some things along David's journey that he will do wrong. As, um, you know, even earlier today, I was reminded as I was um, sharing with someone at work how it is that uh, each and every one of us uh, have made mistakes and will continue to make mistakes in our lives. Um, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Um, none is righteous, no, not one. And so we do that. But what we'll see once again is a man who acknowledges his sin and seeks after God, giving God the glory for his faithfulness and for God's deliverance of him. And so let's begin by reading in 1 Samuel chapter 21 in verse 1. It says, Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with the matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I've made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. And so that was his story. And we'll start out with those two verses there. Uh, Ahimelech was a priest who lived in Nob. Uh, Nob, again, was located just northeast of Bethlehem, northeast of Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem. And, and so David initially didn't go far from Jerusalem. Uh, he didn't go far. Uh, he went to see a servant of the Lord. So he went from the presence of of imminent danger to uh, someone, a godly man by the name of Ahimelech, who was a priest, who was a servant of God. But when Ahimelech saw David, uh, it wasn't uh, a, a pleasant sight. Um, it was pleasant as far as David was concerned, but not so much uh, the, the, the whole situation because uh, he, and he was filled with fears, what we see described here, because it was unusual to see such an important man uh, all alone. Normally, he would have uh, an entourage. He would have people around him. And so it was quite surprising to Ahimelech to see David on his own. And just imagine the look that David had. I mean, here was a man who had been in hiding for several days. Um, he had little or nothing to eat. Um, he was uh, just distressed in his spirit. Uh, that is to say that, that his soul was really, uh, just his spirit was, was broken in the sense to where he had just departed from his best friend. Uh, he had left the life that he once had. And so this was a man perhaps that was a bit disheveled. He was, uh, he, he was out of sorts. And he had, as we had seen last week, he had wept with his friend, dear friend Jonathan. And so this was a, a very difficult parting of two dear friends. And now we see David in the presence of Ahimelech, the priest there in Nob. And Ahimelech just couldn't believe that perhaps David was on his own and probably didn't look very well. So it caused Ahimelech to ask why it was that David was alone. Again, I can't imagine David was looking quite normal. He had been hiding for those few days, traveling and not eating physically, emotionally. He was spent. In chapter 20, again, we learn that David wept and he parted ways with his friend. So he didn't look like his usual self. At the same time, we can conclude that Ahimelech didn't know anything about the whole confrontation that Saul and David had. Uh, it didn't seem, he didn't imply that he knew anything about that. He made no mention of the conflict whatsoever. Uh, he was just alarmed that, that David was by himself. He was alone. And, uh, and so he asked David why it was that he was alone. And his answer was anything but truth. And this is where it starts for David. And David said, said that he was traveling on the king's business. And he was, he was sworn to secrecy. So in other words, he was saying, hey, listen, I've been sent out and I had to to leave quickly, and uh, I, I was hurrying to get out, uh, to go on the king's business that he sent me on, and so I was sworn to secrecy, so don't ask me any questions, is what he tell, told him. We know later, in the next chapter, that these lies, these lies will, fo will follow him, will catch up to, to David, and will we'll have, um, uh, these lies will have some consequences, actually, on the priest's. And um, 
we cannot excuse excuse David's lies. You know, uh, one of the things that, that I read as uh, I was studying this chapter is that um, some people trying to excuse the lies because he was trying to preserve his life, and uh, perhaps they were acceptable. And, and yet for us, we know that um, God opposes that. He, that's not something that's from him. We ought to tell the truth. Uh, we are commanded to. And so we can't in any way, shape, or form excuse David's lying. But at the same time, I, was, I couldn't help but wonder, you know, if we were in the same position, perhaps what we would do. You know, would we do the same thing in, in some way? Faced with the similar circumstances that David found himself in. I'm sure, I'm sure David, in thinking about this, you know, I'm sure David could have said the truth without telling Ahimelech everything. That's one of the things, the thoughts that I had in mind. You know, Ahimelech was a priest and he was a servant of God. And he asked him why it was that he was alone. And really, he didn't have to say anything. David really didn't have to tell him, you know, the reason why he was alone. He didn't have to make anything up. And, and yet, that's, that's what he did. And there are some people that are better off just not knowing the whole story. They don't need to know the whole story, especially if they can't help or it's not profitable to tell them. Or sometimes, and, and especially if them knowing the whole confrontation would actually harm them. In saying that, they, they won't understand it. They, they, they don't see the whole picture, and so it would cause more harm to tell them the whole story. At any rate, you know, David started out with this story, and he had to continue the story as we'll see through this chapter. And, uh, and so that's where we're at. Uh, we see David uh, coming to Nob um, and meeting up with Ahimelech, and Ahimelech confronting him and asking him why it was that he was alone, and then David telling the story. So David continues in verse 3, now then, what do you have on hand? And give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priests, the, the priest, uh, truly, women have, uh, truly women have been kept from us as always, but uh, when I go on an expedition, the vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? And so the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. So bottom line here, you know, David at this point, as he met up with Ahimelech, um, was hungry. He was, he was asking for some, brew, for some bread. And, um, and so we, we need to remember also that uh, days earlier, there was a festival and he didn't go to it. That's the whole reason why Saul was inquiring about uh, the whereabouts of David to Jonathan and how it was that through that exchange, uh, uh, Jonathan realized that his father uh, wanted to kill David and had no good intentions, none whatsoever. And, uh, and so he hadn't gone to that festival. He hadn't eaten. Uh, or he had eaten very little in, in the days he was hiding and uh, in the, the time that he was waiting to receive word from his good friend, Jonathan. Now, David, um, what we read here is uh, kind of interesting because David is referring to men who were not wet with him. So he was implying to Ahimelech that he had some men that had come with him, and yet they were not with him. Uh, they, were, they were somewhere else, and so David was asking on their behalf, but there was none to ask on their behalf. He, was, uh, he continued on with his story. He was making it sound as if there were, they were somewhere waiting for him. Nevertheless, he was asking for food for the moment and for his travel, as apparently he had none. Now, Ahimelech had the, the day-old bread. He had the old showbread, or the... Um, the, the bread of the presence is what we see here in this translation. And this word is literally translated as bread of faces, which means eaten before the face of God. It's a beautiful picture of 
of intimacy. It's, it's a picture of friends breaking bread at a dining table, uh, being in the kitchen and just having some, something to eat and, and sharing that amongst Fred, friends. It, it paints a beautiful picture of our God and how it is that he desires um, to have that, that beautiful, intimate relationship with us. And, and I, I would ask, do we take advantage of that desire of God's to have a relationship with us? Do we, in turn, seek his relationship and go to him? We ought to. We ought to take advantage of that. Because even in the Old Testament, as we see here, the showbread you see was in the holy, uh, the holy place before you enter into the holy of holies. And so here is this bread representing the very intimate relationship that he made possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the redemption uh, of, of our sin, of uh, an atoning of our sin, so that we would be justified and would be able to have relationship with God the Father. And so we see here how it is that the only thing that was left for David in what Ahimelech had was this bread of the presence, this bread that was a symbol of fellowship. And it was to be seen as an act of sacred fellowship. It wasn't just any fellowship, but a sacred fellowship and friendship. And it wasn't to be taken lightly. In Leviticus chapter 24, verse 9, uh, we know that the showbread, the, the bread of presence is to be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a whole, holy place, is what it says in Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 9. Uh, in fact, I want to I want to read it that way we can know exactly what it says here. So Leviticus chapter 24, verse 9 says, And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. Now, what I want to point out is what is absent from this verse. And that is the word, the word only. It does not, it does establish, this, uh, this verse does establish the principle regarding how the bread is to be consumed and for whom it is principally set aside for, but we need to understand this, but not exclusively. It is for this reason that Ahimelech, in his understanding of this verse, gave the old bread of presence to David to eat. So Ahimelech had full understanding of this verse. You know, uh, Leviticus chapter 24, verse 9, he, he knew it. He knew the regulations. He knew exactly how it was that this bread was to be consumed. And it's with that great understanding that he gave of the old bread of presence to David to eat. But he first had to make sure that David was ceremonially clean. That is to say that it wasn't consumed in a flippant manner. It wasn't just given to anyone. It was, it was given to someone because of what it represented to someone who was, was sanctified, who was not um, going to treat it in, in a way that was demeaning and, and really didn't understand what it represented. You know, there was a time when Jesus' disciples were criticized for breaking the religious tradition. And this is just one instance. Uh, the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees, uh, they didn't fully understand uh, really the law of God. And even this very verse, they didn't fully understand it. It's interesting because they studied it, studied it so well. And they knew it in, uh, you know, academically in such a great way, and, and yet they failed to really truly understand its spiritual meaning. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. I believe this will give us a, a bit more understanding as Jesus actually referenced this very portion of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 21. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, it says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? 
how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if he had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Not only did the Son of God, Jesus, use Ahimelech's example to show that what his disciples had done, had just done, is acceptable and right, but he went for lack of understanding of the Sabbath itself and how their very own priests profane the Sabbath by what they do within it. And yet Jesus was saying, and yet they are guiltless before God. And the reason that they're guiltless is very important. It's because of what Jesus said in Mark 2.27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. There is great godly wisdom in all of this. Jesus was pointing out that human traditions are never more important than God's word. And that, and that is what the Pharisees were referring to. And thus denying human needs by their traditions when God's word wasn't saying that. We always hope to not elevate our personal traditions or convictions to the level of God's word if they don't match up. There's definitely a danger in that. We begin to lack the ability to seek God and allow ourselves really to be flexible and to submit to God's will in unique times. The circumstances that we're currently in, I, I believe, is a good example regarding the coronavirus pandemic. This has placed us definitely in a unique position to fellowship differently. And by the way, this is temporarily. If we say that we are in sin because we're not gathering physically for a short period of time, we really need to seek scripture. And we need to better understand scripture and not add to or take away from it as perhaps we would like to in order for it to fit our traditions or personal convictions. Are we assembling? Yeah. I can't forsake that. I definitely cannot forsake that. I'm assembling and I'm coming together with my, my family, with those who are willing to come together. You see, uh, us as, as a church, you know, although the, the world is falling apart, we can still come together in a sense. We, you're together in your homes right now with other perhaps church members, other brothers and sisters in Christ. So will we continue to assemble? Yes, we will. Just differently. Just not in the same way as we have up to this, up to Sunday. At this point, as we go forward until we have a handle on this pandemic, we'll just assemble differently. But we will assemble. Now, we're here. And we will be together physically soon. And I, I want to point to that. In fact, I'm already eagerly anticipating and looking forward to that, that day in which we all come back together physically. <laughs> I'm, I'm already longing for that day. The moment that, that I decided that we were going to go to online is the moment I was, my, my, my heart was breaking even before that. And I was already longing to come together as a church family. And, and I want to look forward to that moment, the, that moment that we come together as a church family again and call it the homecoming of, of the church family that we call refuge. Uh, I'm looking forward to that time. But until then, the community will still be intact. I pray that um, you would be um, continually looking to the Lord, trusting in him, uh, leaning on him, and uh, having that peace that surpasses all understanding. And so... I think this time will give us unique opportunities to witness to a world that is in full panic and give them, giving them the Prince of Peace, the hope of the world, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And 
So just as it was untraditional, you could say, in the day of David with Ahimelech, so it is in our day. It's untraditional. It really is untraditional the way we're doing things at this very moment. And, and yet, we're still, in many ways, enjoying fellowship and being strengthened in the Lord. And so Ahimelech gave David the day-old bread. And in verse 7, as we continue... It says, now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Dog the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Verse 8, then David said to Ahimelech, then have you not here a uh, spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business requires haste. Required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, uh, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. So let's talk about Dog the Edomite. Interesting name. Uh, this, uh, this man, Dog the Edomite, was, uh, he was present there. He was present there with, with David and Ahimelech, the priest. Uh, so we know that, uh, that Dog the Edomite had seen uh, David. Now, Dog the Edomite is uh, described as a violent and stubborn man. Uh, and he was known, as we see here, as he's described, as the head of Saul's herdsmen. So he was, a, he was a valued man by Saul, by King Saul, a trusted servant of Saul, who would no doubt go back and tell Saul everything that had taken place there in the presence of Ahimelech and how it is that he had seen David there in Nob with him. Now this, this, uh, this phrase that, that describes what it was that Dog was doing is that he was detained before the Lord is what we see here. It means that he was somehow worshiping the Lord, which some servants would do as a requirement of serving in Israel. But it didn't mean necessarily that he was doing so in a genuine manner. It didn't mean that he was, uh, he was uh, doing it of his own will. It, wasn't, it didn't mean that. Uh, in fact, his actions later would prove that he wasn't a sincere worshiper of God. He was not genuine. And so that's one of the things also that I, as I was thinking about this, how it was that um, this man was, uh, was really known not for his spiritual integrity, but for uh, really um, uh, characteristics of the flesh, you know, to be stubborn, to be a violent man. And these are things that are opposed to God. Um, this was a man who nonetheless was found in that very place before David, and to him like the priest, worshiping the Lord. So he was going through the motions, and, he, and outwardly he appeared to be someone who uh, was doing the right things, and yet inwardly, inwardly in his heart, he meant none of it. That's one of the things that we need to be careful of, that we don't turn into a, a religious people, that we never get to the place to where we're worshiping God outwardly, hoping that perhaps, uh, you know, that, that going and, and being around God's people and being in church and worshiping would perhaps make us feel better on the outside and not allow God to do a special work on the inside in our hearts. For God desires to do that work in our hearts. It's, it's not the outward man that really God is interested, but it's the inward man. It's the heart of man that is of value to the Lord. So later on, we're going we're gonna to see uh, this man and uh, what it was that came about because of this, uh, this, this um, meeting that he initially had with David. Now, verse 7 is like a, like a parenthetical phrase, introducing someone who we'll see again in the next chapter. So he's just introduced, and it's very important that, that we know that he was seen at this point. Now, verses 8 through 10 is a conversation between Ahimelech and David. David asking for some weaponry is what he was looking for. And so he asked Ahimelech. David said that he had left in haste and didn't have enough time to gather and bring his own sword and spear. And so 
David continued to lie. And quite honestly, that's a difficult thing to see. As we know, David, David is a man after God's own heart. And here he is continuing the story. He's, he's continuing to, to go along with the story that he had started earlier. He didn't have to say any of the things pertaining to Saul. He didn't have to. He, he didn't have to make up the story that he had made up. He could have simply asked if there was a sword or spear available for his use. But he was continuing down the storyline he had initially introduced to Ahimelech. That's one of the things that we can get caught up in. If we begin a lie, we, all of a sudden we, <laughs> we make up this elaborate story as to, you know, really what it is. And it's all our imagination. It's stuff that we don't have to talk about. The best way to really turn that around is to begin telling the truth. And to stop with, with all the lies. And so this, this was David, though. That's why it was, it's so difficult to see a man who is described as a man after God's own heart go down this path. He started the lie and kept going down this path. The story kept getting bigger. And we know that Ahimelech told him that there was, there was nothing there uh, but the sword of Goliath. Sword of Goliath. The same one that David had picked up and beheaded Goliath with. And of course, indeed, it was a good one. Which, by the way, because of this reference, brings us back to the day in which David met up with Goliath. He was a champion of the Philistines. Brings us back to the day that David was fully trusting God to bring down the giant. You know, initially Saul had put his, his armor on him. He had provided him with everything, and yet it wasn't a fit. It wasn't his. It wasn't what God had prepared him with. For God had prepared him. He had built him up with faith in the Lord and with a sling and a stone. He was a young shepherd boy who had been sent out to the field, and he protected the sheep that he was entrusted with out in the middle of the wilderness. No bear or lion could come against those sheep without David coming against them and being willing to fight the bear and the lion, and knowing victory. And so, that day that David was fully trusting in God to bring down the giant was with what comes to mind as we have this reference to that day. But now he had resorted to telling lies. In that day, it was bold trust in God. In that day, David couldn't believe that all of Israel stood there as the Philistine hurled insults at his God, and they didn't do anything about it. But we also need to keep in mind that God was doing a work in David, even through this. You know, I want to remind you that even, even through our failures, that God is doing a work in us. You know, and if he's doing a work in, in you, what you simply need to do in the moment that you realize that you failed God is, is to confess and to repent and to walk once again with the Lord. That also is a lesson for us toward each other, that we are to also be patient with each other. We are to be compassionate toward each other. We should be encouraging we should never give up on each other. But we should, along with God, help lift our brothers and sisters' heads, you know, from being despondent sometimes, being overwhelmed, uh, being burdened, and even stumbling in life. We should come alongside and encourage them. Because with David, we need to be reminded that God was doing a special work in his life. Even this whole situation we need to realize would come back to serve as a lesson for David. And he did learn from this lesson. Just remember that David was able to take down a giant with a sling and a stone because of his faith in God. That we ought to remember. No matter how big or powerful our earthly weapons are, if we don't have faith in God, they're nothing and will accomplish nothing to glorify God. That's why we need to be on our knees. We need to pr be praying and seeking the Lord. We need to be in God's word and, and drawing from, from his word and, and praying that, that he would do a wonderful work, even through our blunders, that he would straighten us out 
and work things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? Now, this comment that David made before he took the sword, he said this to Ahimelech, as Ahimelech showed him the sword, he said, here it is. This is Goliath's sword that, was, uh, that you used to, to take him out, to, to behead him. It's right here. And David said, there's none like that. Give it to me. He wanted it. No doubt he was encouraged by this sword. There, there it is. It is indeed a good one. David looked at that sword like it was something of great value. Because he needed it. Perhaps he thought, as he looked at this sword, my life depends on this sword right here. I need this sword. I have none. I have no sword. I have no spear. I need something. And here is the sword right before him. And so he looked at it as something great, of great value because he needed it. I can't help but think of how the sword of God, being the word of God, is what we need to see having great value in our lives because we realize that we need it and our lives depend on it, the very word of God. So Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Matthew 4, 4 says, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 10, says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. And in Psalm 119, verses 71 and 72, it says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. May we look to God's word and say what David said about the sword of Goliath. There is none like that. Give it to me. May we look at it with the, the same value, with the same desire, with the same, the same intent, you know, to use it in the same way. May our lives depend on the word of God. May we look at it with that great value. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That is our very nourishment. Well, verse 10 it says, And David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. <laughs> so David... So David was still on the run, and it's interesting to me as I, as I look at these verses and I realize where he's gone. He's gone from Nob, which is just outside of Jerusalem. Now he's gone southwest toward the coast, and he's going toward Philistine country. He's going toward the land of the enemies of God. And it's, and it's hard to understand why it is that he did this. He had run from Saul. He had gone to Ahimelech, and now he had gone from Ahimelech and gone to, to see the king, the king of the Philistines, the king of Gath, Achish. It's just hard to understand. I don't understand because David knew where he was going. It wasn't like, you know, I'm just wandering and, and I stumbled upon Gath. He knew exactly where he was going. Why did he go to Gath? Gath was where Goliath was from. Gath was in the land of the Philistines. It was an enemy territory. They were the very enemies of Israel. And as David came to Gath, he was immediately recognized. He was immediately recognized by the enemy.
He was identified as a mighty man of war. Isn't this a man? Isn't this the leader of the Israelites? Isn't this a mighty man of war? Isn't he the, the one who had a, a hit song written about him? There, there was this hit song that was written about him. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. They knew him very well. They knew him. He was famous all over because by his leadership, many Philistines had been slain. And the Israelites had known victory after victory over the Philistines. So it just didn't make sense. Sometimes we do things that just don't make sense. We run to things and to people who are in opposition to God that doesn't make sense for the child of God to run to. But again, David did. He did do that. You know, why run back to a bottle of alcohol? Why run back to friends you know that are not going to lead you and encourage you back to the Lord? Why, why go back into the world that you had initially run from? You knew that there was imminent danger there. You knew that your very life was, was at stake. And yet, there are many people, unfortunately, that, that leave the fellowship of the Lord and the fellowship of the saints, and they run to the world. They run back to the world. They run back to drugs, back to alcohol, back to partying, back to the world, and, and they, they trust in the world. They trust in that. You know, the word is very clear. In James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The very time that we're in, a, in, a, in difficult situations, we ought to draw closer to the Lord, not, not farther. I mean, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, a lot of people, uh, what I've seen them do is, is they get in, the, in these difficult situations, uh, marital problems. And instead of coming closer to the Lord, instead of drawing near to a brother or sister in Christ, they run away and they look to the world. And that's the wrong way to go. Because the Bible tells us, and God promises us this, that as we draw near to him, he's going to draw near to us. And that's a promise. It's interesting because a few verses earlier in James 4, 4, it says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I believe it was on Monday that we had made reference to, was it 1 Corinthians? Um, is it 633? Is that what it is? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, 1533, right? Which says, uh, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Yeah, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 1533. Um, and so we need to understand that, hey, listen, drawing close to the world, really, and drawing close to people who are immoral, you know, hey, listen, we're there to, to witness to them and, and to hopefully win them to the Lord. Um, but we make a big mistake as Christians when we say, hey, didn't Jesus hang out with sinners? No, he didn't hang out with sinners. He went to them to, to minister to them, to tell them the truth. That's he went with a purpose. For God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That, that's why he went to them. So for us... You know, we, we make a big mistake when we, when we convince ourselves that we are to go into the world and, and be part of the world. And, and that's no big deal for Jesus hung out with sinners. Well, well, we need to understand that no, we are to be, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. That, ba that bad company, continued company, hanging out with those of, that are immoral will, will affect us in such a way that we too will fall in line with immorality. So we, that shouldn't be the answer. That isn't the answer. That will bring us down a path of destruction and ultimately kill our relationship with the Lord. So, you know, to be a friend of the world is to be in opposition and be an enemy of God is what it says in James 4.4. 4. In, in times of trouble, let's be reminded of this. 
that God helps. Psalm 46, 1 through 3 says, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Let us rem remember that. So, it's, uh, it does baffle us, it should baffle us why it was that David went to um, Gath, into the sin uh, to the uh, king, uh, to King Achish, um, you know, for us it's it's a lesson. Why, why would we want to run to the world ourselves? Well, David ran into trouble. Verse twelve it says, and David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, and pretended to be insane in their hands, and made marks on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so he was sent away. This is what happened with David. It worked. Well, David saw that his life was threatened. He knew that he was in trouble. And he acted. He was... He, he acted crazy. He acted like he was crazy. Now, what we don't have in these few verses are the details of, of this whole situation. Uh, it's Psalm 56 and Psalm 34 that we see the whole picture. And we see how it was that he was actually captured. He was brought to the Philistines. And he was brought before King uh, Achish, the king of Gad. And, uh, and so these two psalms, if you're jotting down some notes, jot down Psalm 56 and Psalm 34, which both address this whole situation. What we see in these psalms is an understanding of a man's shortcomings in the Lord's power, faithfulness, and grace. So did David learn from his mistakes? Yes, he did. And it's recorded in these two psalms, in Psalm 34 and Psalm 56. He gave glory to God. He realized that he had, he had fallen short. He had sinned. He had done wrong. And it, he also realized in the midst of it all, God's faithfulness, the Lord's power. For he was delivered from the hand of his enemy. At this time, David humiliated himself before the Philistines. At this time, he was a man who was undignified. He had realized that, he got him, that what he got himself into acting the fool and how he simply acted outwardly what he had been doing inwardly. It's interesting. He'd been acting the fool, spiritually speaking, and not trusting the Lord, and, and yet now, just outwardly, he was, he was expressing that. He was acting, and yet it's interesting that this came out in that way. But God delivered the fool. And the fool realized it, that he was a fool. Again, referring to Psalm 34 and Psalm 56. Now, in conclusion, I want to, um, to read just a few verses of Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, in verse 1, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Um, read the whole thing. Read Psalm 34. I pray that we too, if we do have any fears, that the Lord would be our deliverer, that we would give ourselves to him. That we would not trust in, in man to do that. That we would not uh, give ourselves to anything else but to the Lord. For he is truly the deliverer of us from our enemies. From anyone who chooses to come against us. And most of all, he's, uh, and primarily, he's, he's our deliverer from eternal condemnation. Uh, the Lord has delivered us from eternal hell separation from, from God the Father. And so we ought to look to him for everything. May we look to God's word also and say what David said about the sword of Goliath. 
May we really cherish and look to the word of God as valued above all. His word. There is none like that. Give it to me. May we continue in fellowship with the Lord. May we learn from the lessons that we see and understand in scripture. And may we too, when we do have those things revealed to us, confess to the Lord. For he says, if you confess your sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And let, let, so let us have humble hearts before the Lord. Confess those sins and, uh, and allow him to cleanse us of all our sins. And uh, for he desires that we would be right before him and that we would walk in a good relationship with him and have that fellowship that is absolutely sweet. May God bless you. May you have a great evening and, uh, and we'll see you soon. God bless you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for this time of study that you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that um, this word that we went over, 1 Samuel chapter 21, that it would resonate in our hearts, that we would be reminded of um, what has taken place in these few verses that we covered, that we would understand and see clearly, perhaps, you know, David's hindsight is our foresight as we look at what happened in this chapter of David's life. Uh, may we learn to trust trust you, Lord, to not trust and, and not to mistrust and then uh, rely on, on our flesh and begin to tell stories and lies, thinking that, um, that that'll preserve life. Lord, it won't. Nothing else will. Only our Lord, by your power and by your grace, we are preserved now and for all eternity in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, Lord, um, I pray, Father, that you would continue to pour your spirit out upon us. Uh, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.